I tell you, you were snoring. You would you would take a big, and then you. That was just the. <laughs> that was the first night. I fixed it after that. <laughs> Chris can control his snoring. It's Chris so snores. It, that's on brand. He was snoring oh. <laughs> so loud in, in his sleep in Lincoln. The little like there's this like metalwork art on the wall that was rattling. It was like. Was you didn't so tell me that. Real. I mean, this was. End thank of you for not telling me that. I would have been self-conscious more than I already am. Welcome back to the DI Scoreboard, everyone. I am your host, Austin Hansen, joined as always by my co-host, Chris Werner. Chris, how are we? We're doing great this evening. We got a special guest for you. One of the one of the most knowledgeable writers I've ever been around. And uh, we're going to be talking some wrestling. Absolutely. This is slowly sort of been delving into a wrestling podcast because so much there's so much intrigue, I would say, with wrestling this year, and and uh, our guest today will certainly add to that. We also have Carly Dahlberg with her video on Fresh Off a 17-Page Study Guide. Carly, how are you feeling today? Our producer slash the diesel that makes this, this podcast go. My brain is fried, and I'm very excited for spring break. Amen. I think we're all there. Luckily, Chris, you get to go snuggle in Detroit with me for the Nationals during spring break. So you don't get you don't get to take a break. No, I mean, that's what I would want to do anyway. Mm. <laughs> Besties. Bestie bonding time. Somebody. And I, I'll, I'll see if I can curb my snoring habit before that. Somebody uh, at in Lincoln at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Chris and I kept going, besties. And then we walked up to like the, the banquet table where they were serving all the food for the week. And the lady goes, there they are, the besties. <laughs> I was like, and we're like, yes. <laughs> it's spreading. We're spreading the message. <laughs> so that's our fun nugget of the weekend. So Chris touched on it earlier. Very special guest today. We have KJ Pilcher from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Judging by the interview we had with him, um, I, my, my suspicions were confirmed that he has been covering wrestling just about as long as I have been on this earth. And we're going to tap into his huge knowledge base today, uh, talk a lot of college wrestling, some high school wrestling. So really exciting podcast this week with KJ. With that, we'll throw it to the interview. Whoosh. All right. We're super excited to welcome on our guest this week, KJ Pilcher, a reporter from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. He covers wrestling here in Iowa at all levels if it's anything wrestling uh kj is the guy to talk to super excited that you you know decided to come on take some time out of your day to talk with us two hooligans yeah <laughs> it's hooligans uh no thanks for inviting me uh you know love uh love working alongside you guys uh you know at the, at the iowa duels and weekly and you know at the big ten tournament and then again in detroit here uh in about nine days or or so so no, I was, uh, once you said time, I was looking forward to him. Glad you uh, asked me to join. Absolutely. So we kind of like to start these interviews uh, with a layup or warm-up question. And the one thing I have always wondered um, since we were first acquainted was mm -hmm. what does KJ stand for? Okay, now th this, is, this is interesting because I usually do not share this. I usually keep this as close, uh, not for any special reason, but 
Clarissa Chun, during her press conference, came up. Uh, Brewer introduced her, and the first thing she asked was, what's KJ stand for? And I immediately blurted out Kenneth James, which is what it stands for. But I use, for some reason, that's the first time I really openly shared it. And when I said it, I was like, oh. uh, I was named after my, my father and I had the same first name. And I think some of my family got, I've heard two different answers. My family got tired of saying Kenneth, and both of us turned and looking uh, when I was little. The second one, uh, my brother claims that I could not pronounce Kenneth when people would ask me my name. I would kind of have like Kenneth kind of a sound to it. So he started calling me KJ and it's just stuck and I've been KJ ever since. So that's what it stands for, Kenneth James. Now everybody knows. The secret is out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe this will drive up publicity for our podcast. Let's hope. Yeah, there you go. It'll be the clickbait uh um, episode name but find out find out kj Pil- pilcher's deepest secrets right what <laughs> yeah. it stands for deepest secrets revealed exclamation point colon yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, be on the bottom of every it. single news article is like the clickbait yep <laughs> but um the next thing i wanted to talk about was was your career because you've sort of been the wrestling guy um, in Iowa for a while, particularly here in Eastern Iowa, like anything wrestling, it's always you state tournament, Iowa wrestling, Iowa state, you and I, um, you've kind of got an eye on all of it and know everything about it. So how did you get here? That's uh, that's a real boy. That's trying to figure out where to start. Cause uh, actually uh, you know, I, I went to, I went to school at Buena Vista university. I'm from Cedar Rapids originally. I've been wrestling my, uh, you know, follow my brother into wrestling when I was at a young age. But when I was at uh, Buena Vista, I was a mass comm uh, major. And I actually, uh, I focused on uh, television and uh, electronic media, actually, when I was there. A couple of times I wrote for the TAC, the student newspaper, came to Cedar Rapids. And, you know, my first six months out of school, I was actually just kind of still partying and screwing around. Then uh a uh, position came up actually in advertising. I took that and then an agate position came up in sports. And that's where, I, you know, I was, my brother was like, you know, what were you looking to do? And I'm like, well, this is something that interests me and, you know, want to want to be a part of it. So he's like, well, this is a spot to get your foot in the door. So I actually did agate when I started. And for people that don't know what agate is, uh, it, it's essentially the fine print. And back then, you know, a lot of it was typed in by hand. So imagine all the tennis box scores and small college box scores. Surprising I didn't get carpal tunnel. <laughs> but then uh, uh, I had an editor there named Dale Jones, who actually really kind of took me under his wing and kind of helped me a little bit. You know, when I mentioned him, I, I wanted to be, you know, I want to take a, a, a bigger role on and, and be more of a writer. And uh, they knew I had a background in wrestling, so he worked with me. And then in 2002 is when I actually, actually, 2000, yeah, 2002, I got my first beat back then when they're actually considered beats instead of, you know, this uh, more of a conglomeration or, or cooperative effort by a lot of people now anymore. But uh, I started covering high school wrestling in 2002, which was really awesome at the time. That was like the sophomore year of a huge class that came through, especially in Eastern Iowa and Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, where you had Ryan Morningstar, uh, Jay Borschel, 
uh, Joey Slayton, uh, you know, who is a, a national finalist for, for Iowa, you know, Kyle Anson, who just got inducted with Morningstar in the high school, uh, Iowa High School Hall of Fame. Chad Beatty was just outside of her coverage area in Wilton, but he was part of that group as well. Dan LeClaire, who wrestled at Iowa. So that, that was really awesome to be able to step in right in the middle of their high school careers. And of course, you know, where that uh, blew up and covered high school ever since. Um, the Gazette has had this real legacy of college and just wrestling writers at all levels. Uh, Mike Chapman, uh, who uh, created uh, Win Magazine, originally was a big uh, a part of the uh, uh, Wrestling Hall of Fame. I was in Newton and now in Waterloo. He was a sports editor and covered wrestling for the Gazette. He kind of uh, mentored J.R. Ogden, who uh, did it until 2009. And then I actually went down for a day and uh, helped with coverage at the, state, uh, the national tournament in St. Louis that year. That was the infamous uh, Caldwell-Metcalf match. And Iowa had won, I think, their second of, of three titles in a row. And then we got back from St. Louis, and he said, I'm thinking about uh, just being sports editor and having you take over college wrestling. And, you know, it's uh, – I've been – covering Iowa, you and I, we have a correspondent that does the lion's share of Iowa State work. They do small college wrestling as well, especially with, you know, like Coe and Wartburg and the small colleges in the area and, and uh, the international stuff as well, since we have such a heavy participation and the people in the state. And that's what it's been like ever since. Chris, I'll let you ask a question. I've been dominating so far. I got you. I, I knew it was coming, so I'm ready. Just kind of going... More, more into the, the recent happenings of Iowa and, and the Big Ten, obviously. Um, the talk of the, the, the wrestling kind of world after last weekend was kind of the, the medical forfeits. I, I kind of saw, I mean, 10 of the 30 matches in the fifth, session, fifth and final session were medical, medically forfeited. You know, everybody on social media seems to have thoughts about it. Kind of how, how do you feel about it? You know, what? what does this mean for college wrestling and kind of what were some of the, some of the things that you took away from that? You know, I, I'm really, I'm really torn about this because I can see both sides of the situation. You know, I think maybe about five or 10 years ago, I probably would have had a lot more harder stance. It's like, you know, you should, you should wrestle these matches. You're out, you're out there to compete, you know, seeing people that uh, had that warrior I mean, not that these guys don't have that warrior mentality. So maybe I, that's not what I'm really trying to say, but you know, there, there are guys that were going out there regardless of what was wrong. And, you know, you've heard, you know, Gable wrestling without, you know, his ACL in the Olympics. And of course we saw what Spencer Lee has done the last few years. And you're like, you know, the guys can tough it out. Then I think about Matt McDonough and his senior season when he wrestled through you know, severe shoulder injury and how much better, what would it have meant for him at the nationals that senior year when he did not place, if maybe he would have, you know, not wrestled a match or two or wrestled Delgado, Delgado from Illinois in the, in the big 10 tournament that year, would that have allowed him to be in a little bit better shape or a little bit stronger when it came to nationals and get on the awards hand, because really when you look at his career, 
that senior year kind of is a sour note because he wasn't even an All-American that year after making a final three straight seasons. You know, it's it's things that are tough like that that make me think, you know, this is it's smart. And the biggest the biggest thing I guess that that is kind of bad about it is it keeps you from being able to see some of the other guys compete, right? It's not so much that Cassiope didn't take the map, but you didn't get to see Gable Stevenson. And that's that's a marquee guy you want to see him you if you're somebody in wrestling you want him to be on tv you want him to be able to compete to show these people why wrestling is so great and why it's so exciting when you forfeit to him and he doesn't get a chance to you know show why he's so special that kind of takes a little bit away you know my first thought when i heard cassiope wasn't wrestling was oh man the fan reaction when they find out stevenson isn't going to take the man is going to be off the chart and I, and I know I'm really right in the fence, right? I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth because then I think about Kemmerer. And, you know, Kemmerer's been there seven years. He's at a part, he's at a time in his life where normally people his age are only competing three or four times a year, really, on the international scene. You're not asking a 24, 25 year old guy, same with Ironman, to wrestle, you know, four or five times within four or five weeks. Even though it sounds silly to think, oh, 24, 25 is old, when it comes to, to wrestling, that's a lot of mileage, especially when you think a lot of these guys probably started when they were six. You know, some of them may have wrestled 70 matches when they're an eight-year-old. You know, it's that's just kind of how youth sports are now. And now you're looking at a 19-year career and that many matches, it takes a toll on the body and you can see it. You know, I, I love Michael Kemmerer, but you can see how much pain he was in coming off his first match. And, and then in that uh, quarterfinal that he gutted out against Ethan Smith. So I, I can see why it happens, you know, not to mention, right. You know, we've talked about, we've heard them talk about this with Marinelli and the four Big Ten titles. You remember what happens at Nationals, right? You would rather place, you know, second, first, second, third, at nationals because you're a little bit healthier than worry about finish finishing seventh or eighth or fifth and sixth or third and fourth at the big 10 tournament how's that for covering both uh <laughs> both sides of it but i really am torn i you know I, I can see why people are upset and want to change but i can also see why coaches and athletes go down that road because it probably is smarter and it's probably probably is better for the individual which you know, wrestling is an individual sport, but it hurts the sport too. I don't, I don't know. How do you think that medical forfeit, medical, you know, injury default is going to, or should, I guess, you know, everyone has been talking about how it should affect NCAA tournament seating. Is that something that you should hold against that wrestler? Cause it is technically a loss or is that something you should be like, well, they were hurt, didn't wrestle. Maybe it shouldn't affect the seed. Well, I, I think, and I could be wrong on this, but I think the policy is that medical forfeits aren't supposed to be counted against guys. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's been an option for, for people. And it's, it hasn't just been this year. I mean, I think Flo had something about the last five years and, and had it mapped out for each conference. But, you know, I can, I can remember as far back as, you know, 2010, seeing that a, a couple of times, you know. So, so it's happened before. It's just a lot more prevalent now and I think one of the reasons why is because it doesn't come against you it's it's something that uh you know and I think maybe concussion protocol has 
has been one of the reasons for that, where, you know, you can't let a guy go out there after getting a concussion. So if that drops him down in the county bracket, he shouldn't be penalized because they're not even letting him take the mat. You know, so I, I don't think it will affect anything this year. By the reaction, I'm guessing there's going to be something different come next season. I think they're probably going to revisit something like that and try to figure out how to try to balance this out to where there's a, you know, there's a consequence, you know, even with medical, medical forfeits. But right now, not so much. And you mentioned, um, you know, kind of trying to save yourself for NCAAs if there's a possibility of you getting hurt in like the Big Ten or some other conference tournament. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that those conference tournaments have become almost obsolete for some teams and the NCAAs have become too prominent? Or do you think the, the kind of structure is just how it's going to be? Uh, that's a really cool, good question. If I'm if I kind of understand it right, have you seen uh, Mark Hall's uh, Twitter feed today? He was the one that was talking about how there are some people that received at-large bids that did not receive that did not win a conference match. Yeah, they, there were some. Right. Didn't even take the mat for for the conference really. Just you know, you were you weighed in or whatever, and that's what you had to do, and that was it. And they got at-large bids, and and I see his point where. You know, you really nullify what, it, I mean, it's a conference tournament slash qualifier. You didn't even compete in, compete in it, and you still moved on. I, I could see where that really kind of nullifies, not necessarily the importance, because there is that conference aspect, but it really kind of nullifies, you know, the purpose of it, and that's to qualify for the, you know, the national tournament. So what's the point if you're not competing and, you know, or if you can't compete? And you're still moving on. So um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I, I don't think it'll change as far as, you know, those conference tournaments are still going to be the qualifiers. But, you know, I thought I saw somewhere somebody mentioned the idea of not releasing the allocations until after the tournament. That way you can't, you know, really, you probably will have an idea, but it's not a thing where, okay, we're in the top six. Now we can, we don't have to wrestle anymore. You may not be sure, oh, hey, you need to win the next match or you need to get here instead. So you might see a change like that in the way things are announced or uh, how those uh, those allocations are kind of uh, announced beforehand until after maybe they're after the competition now. What do you I mean, guys think? What do you guys think? I mean, you know, I'm kind of spouting off here, but do you, do you think there is something kind of coming down the road that, you know, you think this might kind of change the landscape a little bit of how the postseason kicks off? I was just going to say, I think it has a lot to do with like the culture of sports as a whole today. Like I, I feel like 10, 20 years ago, conference championships, divisional championships meant more, but you know, now in professional college, whatever, it's all national tournament national. We have to be the best in the country, you know, like in college football, even you look at it, like you were just, happy with a win in the orange bowl and like you know there wasn't a you know bona fide national champion so like i feel like mm -hmm. it's so proliferated now that you know these conference tournaments are not what they used to be and i think that's hand in hand with like just the rise of media not necessarily journalism but you know like social media and basically everybody knows everything they want to know if you desire a piece of information 
you can find it. So it just sticks out to me. Alex Marinelli, after his match on Sunday, said now, like, nobody remembers a conference champion. They only remember, like, the, the NCAA winners. Mm-hmm. So, like, he, he said something about how some of our guys were banged up, but we just need to go win NCAAs. That was pretty much the end of his answer. And I feel like that speaks to, like, everybody knowing the best thing they can get and the fans are, like, only caring about that now, um, oh. which I don't, I don't know if Iowa fans fit into that, but that's the majority of, of national fans, at least from the athlete's perspective. Oh, and I think that's uh, – I think you hit on a pretty uh, key piece. I mean, both of you are dead on. And the one thing about, you know, the Iowa program and its, and its fan base, they're extremely knowledgeable, and a lot of them have been around for a long time. So they've seen an era of where second place just wasn't a thing, you know. Uh, a lot of them were around in the 80s, and they were there in the 90s when – you know, Tom and Terry brands were actually, you know, on the mat uh, instead. They saw the, uh, uh, you know, the, I don't want to say the miracle uh, team, um, but the, the 97 team in Gables last year that knocked off, a, you know, a really heavily favored Oklahoma State team. And they just expect that year in and year out. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit broader now. So all fans kind of feel that way, you know, it it does seem like, you know, that, that one end result is the only thing that, that seems to matter. And that's really not, not the case. You know, there's merit to a lot of things along the way, you know, in 2020, when the NCAAs got canceled, I think that should have been more of an eye opener for a lot of people to realize, Hey, you know what, this conference title, especially the big 10, Right? How much have we talked about how strong the Big Ten is? You know, there are going to be people that place higher at the NCAAs that finished this last weekend. You know, I mean, that's just how tough that tournament is. It should be appreciated a little bit more, I, I guess. And I might, I might be kind of veering off uh, and away from what we were originally talking about, but I, I think they. You, you do talk about how, you know, the nationals, you know, that national championship, whether it's a team or individual, has so much clout and overshadows these other things. But, you know, I mean, I, I think of somebody like Mike Deanna, who is a four-time conference champ and, you know, never won an NCAA title. You know, that doesn't uh, tarnish his career at all. You know, he was still one of Iowa's best wrestlers of all time. It's it's just this perception, and you know I I don't know if uh, I I really I guess person to ask would be a wrestler to just see how they value that, you know I remember being on a when we had on Iowa Live and Scott Sable once told me what's more important a bronze medal at the Olympics or a gold medal at the NCAA championships and my first my first answer was the bronze medal at the Olympics right. That's that's the world's biggest stage. Somebody else disagreed with me and said, no, it's it's winning a, a national championship because first place is the only thing that matters. You know, that might be something that, you know, people uh, kind of have that difference of, of insight right now just because, you know, is it a national championship or, or placing high at the nationals or would a Big Ten championship 
be just as good, you know, or not just as good, but be uh, a notable feat. It just seems like there's some some muddy muddy uh, uh, views there, um, especially when you see people willing to to forfeit out instead of going for for a title. You touched on it a little bit there, um, and I wanted to ask you if Iowa doesn't get that. Uh, team NCAA championship this year how do people how do you think people will remember this team because you know you had this stacked lineup that had Spencer Lee leading the whole thing and you know at the end of the day they might get one championship out of it because 2020 was canceled and Spencer Lee was out this year yeah you know that's it's going to be really interesting to see how you know what this final chapter how this final chapter is written you know right now I think they're I think they're kind of playing with house money because they were the group that got Iowa back on top. That was something that, uh, you know, the fan base was, was so thirsty for after, you know, having more than a decade and, and then having the NCAAs pulled out from underneath them and having to wait that long for a title. However, having all those guys back, but when you look at what this team has gone through, you know, injury wise, where you have, one of the most dynamic wrestlers in college wrestling, just not even able, you know, to compete outside of, you know, one day down in Florida. And then for his, you know, the highly touted freshman to come in, replace him and then get hurt just like that. You know, you, you had, you know, you have Kemmerer and what he's been through, you know, somebody like Nelson Brands who was part of the lineup and, you know, get hurt. Max Murin's battled injury Caleb Young you know and you see what Jaden Ironman's gone through I think there'll be a little bit just a small bit of a pass just because I think a lot of people will realize exactly what these guys have have gone through and I mean if not they really should because one it's kind of snake bit there at 25 where that happens to Spencer Lee and then you know you have Ayala who comes in and you know, I really think there is a top five, top six kind of feel from him when he when he started. Now that he's, you know, kind of a question mark with, with him and in, in what he's kind of dealing with right now, you know, you know, can he make that that jump, you know, at NCAAs? We'll see. But the beginning of the year, we had kind of that mix and match lineup, right, where we had three or four guys listed at 49 and, you know, Patrick Kennedy was going at 65 and you know, even had Colin Shriver wrestling. Who's going to wrestle at 74? Glazier was at 97. I, I think maybe they kind of had an idea that we're going to have to limit the mileage on these guys as we're, as we're going along in the season. So even if they don't win the national title in Detroit, because they still could. They still could because they were still, you know, they were still relatively in it there, you know, mid-Sunday without the medical forfeits and they're a little bit healthier could they have gained more points and, and made a bigger difference you know who knows for for sure but I think they should get a pass regardless of how they finish in Detroit just because this hasn't been a normal season and not right ex excuses is for wussies right you know that's starting to come up now especially for after Sunday uh, all over the place but uh, and, and I guarantee you, there's nobody in the Iowa room that are that are hanging their hat on that excuse. You know, nobody's nobody's in the Iowa room saying, "Oh, but we're hurt, we're hurt, we're hurt." No, they're they're not doing that either. But 
I think fans should really look back on last year as more of a gauge on, on what uh, this group of wrestlers like Temer, Marinelli, DeSanto, Mirren, uh, even though Max might come back, right? What they what they really did for this program and, and bringing it back. And you, you know, we just touched on the, the injuries quite extensively and you've been around wrestling um, for a pretty long time. And I know Tom Brands and all the press conferences when media asks about injuries, he goes, oh, they're all <laughs> fine. Like Michael Kemmer is great. He's definitely not great when it comes to injuries. You know, how how hard do you feel like these wrestlers, Ironman, Kemmerer, are, are working just to, like, get on the mat at this point? You know, it seems like it's quite the undertaking. Oh, I, I tell you, the person the person that makes his every cent that uh, that is on his paycheck is Jesse Donningworth, right? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there wouldn't be a Michael Kemmerer on the mat right now if it wasn't for Jesse Donningworth. And the work that he puts in, I mean, I remember talking to him in the past and, you know, he, he studies things and figures things out. So wrestling specific on how somebody can train dealing with these injuries and still be able to, to produce. I'm, I'm amazed by him. And I, I think that's the only reason why you're seeing somebody like Kemmerer and, and, you know, the way Ironman, um, you know, he had a, Hitching his giddy up, uh, just walking back to the center during his quarterfinal match. These guys are, are trying to do whatever they can. And you got to remember, like we said just a little while ago, these guys have been competing since they're six, seven, eight years old. They don't, they don't, they don't not want to be out there. You know, it's going to take a, uh, it's going to take wild horses and a, you know, a fire engine to keep uh, some of them off the mat. You know, I mean, that's that's just the way it is. So people talking, and then that's another thing that, you know, that adds to the medical forfeits. These guys probably don't want to do that. They want to compete. That's a, Some of them, that's what they know. And that's not trying to be too simplistic, but that's some of them, that's all they know is how to compete and go hard, right? I, I really think you've seen kind of an evolution in in the kind of the training smarter instead of harder in some things i think it was a lesson they might have learned with mcdonough that you can't just push through the whole thing i think it's a lesson that really paid off with Corey clark where they limited what he did and you know he was able to train and when he did get to the national he won it you know he was a national champion because of how they kind of managed the situation and kind of limited things for him, you know, and I, I really think that, you know, these, these guys are working their tails off. They really are just to get back out there. And, you know, um, they would rather go out there battered and bruised. And that's, you know, you'll see it at Detroit until they get on the podium or until they get to a point where they just can't go anymore. They'll, they'll do whatever they can to get on the mat. I, I'm 100% confident in that, and that's what's going on right now. And, you know, another example, Sam Stoll. In New York City, Sam Stoll almost – Tom Brands almost had to go on the mat and tell him, no, you're done. You're done. You're need, I, think the, I think it was the second knee injury where, you know, he was wrestling and it blew out on him against maybe a kid from Gardner-Webb. And Tom's like, no, no, you can't. You're done. You know, and – that's that's their mentality and that's how they are and that's 
maybe that's what's disappointing about the reaction about the medical forfeits. You know, lay off the wrestlers because I guarantee you, a, many of these decisions were made for them because somebody is looking beyond Sunday. You know what I mean? So, uh, but but to, to get back to your original question, yeah, they they're trying to find different ways to still train so they can get on that without um, without hurting themselves worse in practice so they can compete because you know com competitions in their blood you guys have covered them enough that you know just what that means to to those guys so not to sort of switch topics really fast but i kind of felt dumb after sunday uh watching michigan raise the trophy because i was like oh it's a two-horse race i wrote my preview as if it's a two-horse race and then here's Michigan, all their wrestlers are competing to their seed or past what they were seeded. Did you ever feel like Michigan was going to be that team to disrupt the team race? Not at all. I'm, I'm right there with you, Austin. Uh, I, I felt, I, I didn't quite feel that way. I just, I was really surprised and, uh, and I'll, I'll admit it. I overlooked them. You know, I thought Michigan has had teams in the past that, could have challenged and didn't. And the knock on them has always been when it comes to the, the postseason, the Big Tens and the NCAAs, they just don't show up. And they they showed up and, and then some uh, this weekend. They wrestled lights out. And to see, you know, even somebody like uh, Cameron Amin and uh, uh, Luan at 57 um, wrestling for titles, you know, miles of being beaten, uh, Aaron Brooks, which, you know, no, that should have been a good match, but I would have taken Aaron Brooks every day of the week and twice on Sunday, even if it was in the middle of town square. And, and to see that, you know, they, they really, I think this was in, uh, Stefan Michich got beat first round, right? You're going to tell me Michigan wins. And Stefan Michic isn't getting out of, the, out of his first round match. Crazy. Just crazy. And no, I didn't, ex I didn't expect it. And I, I really overlooked them. I, you know, you know, they had, uh, you know, a lot of uh, quality wrestlers with, with Soriano, Michic, Amin, Mason Paris, that group, Brucky, um, Russell Well, 97. But yeah, I, I thought it was Penn State, Iowa only, you know, and for them to come through, you know, kudos to, to them, Sean Bormet and Kevin Jackson, you know, they finally got those guys to, to peak at the right time. And, and they wrestled a, a heck of a tournament this weekend. Yeah. And we'll, we'll kind of switch gears to Iowa's, to Iowa's finalists, you know, some of them medically forfeited and some of them, you know, competed, but I know we talked about Cassiope earlier in the context of, fans getting mad that they didn't get to see Gable Stevenson one more time. Mm -hmm. um, but kind of what have you seen from Cassiope? Obviously, he slimmed down in the offseason. I thought it was basically to, you know, get that number two seed in both the Big Ten and the NCAAs, which it looks like he's going to do. Mm -hmm. um, what have you seen maybe that's different from him this year than in years past? You know, he seems like um, it's basically Gable and then Cassiope, Kirkbleed, and Paris there. Um, in the second tier. Yeah. You know, 
the one thing that I think he, he shows he shows his athleticism. I think a little bit more now that he's, you know, a lot more. I mean, his his transformation has been monstrous. I mean, he was a he was a big guy. He was athletic, but he's he's become a lot more. Uh, he's been more quicker. You know, the the thing that really you want to you want to talk about how he's different. I think when he was in high school, he showed a lot of ability not wrestling like a heavyweight, right? Where he would he would roll and do a lot of things that would lead to pins that you normally wouldn't see out of a heavyweight. You'd see from, you know, maybe a middleweight or, or something. Just with his ability to scramble and, and getting his hips on top. You don't see that from big guys um, as much. His the end of his match with Kirk Follett in the semifinals, I think that encompasses how he's such a better and different wrestler because of that scrambling ability that he's had now that he, you know, he's, he's leaner and, you know, and still as strong, I think, you know, when he came out for that, when he was able to get that reversal at the end, the way that he did it, um, even though like brands call it like a 38 second reversal, which I think was pretty funny, but for him to get that. And then what does he do? You know, I, I know in, in Carver, uh, he was able to work out of a body lock position and kind of dictate the match against Kirk Follett there. But he hit a high cross, and that was an athletic move. That was quick. He's able to do that after wrestling six minutes. I think that's the difference that we've seen from from Tony Cassiope, his ability to, to, to do that, you know, what he did at the end of regulation and then transfer that in the, the sudden victory. And, you know, I, I just think he's a, a little bit better, even though he's given up a little bit of, Mass, which I think might have been something he had to get used to in the Del Garbino match, right? He's probably not used to getting rolled through because usually 20 extra pounds, he's probably stuffing Del Garbino right there in the mat, and, and that's it. And instead of, you know, being a little bit lighter, Garbino was able to roll him through, and, you know, I think he probably learned from that as, as well. And I, I just think he's more athletic and that might be something he he's learned from going up against Gable Stevenson because you're going to have to wrestle that way. If you want any kind of chance against him. So, Do you, do you think he has a chance against him? I, you know what? I, I don't think Goose and Atlas in a tag team match have a chance against Gable Stevenson. They, uh, I, you know, he, uh, he's, he's phenomenal. And you know, you know, what's, what's really bizarre is he looks better than he did when he wrestled in the olympics you know he he's continued to get better he's more i mean like uh remember was it, who was he wrestling was he uh was he wrestling at orndorf one of his matches at the big 10 i remember the crowd goes oh because they threatened to score on him and he came out with you know he didn't give up any points and then Bam, just like that. Next thing you know, it's 20 to 5 and the match is over. <laughs> you know, he went from being threatened to give up points to absolutely dominant this guy, you know, a minute and a half later. You know, seeing Isaiah Martinez do stuff like that to people, you know, um, and he's a 57 pounder. And here you have a heavyweight doing that to people. He's, I, I can't think, you know, I, I was a huge Kurt. Kurt Angle fan and follower. Um, I remember, you know, some of the great heavyweights like, you know, Carlton Hasselrig, you know, Stephen Neal, uh, Tommy Rollins. But I tell you what, I think Gable Stevenson's the best college heavyweight 
of all time. I'll, you know, and I don't think that's a secret to, to anybody here going out on a limb at all. Um, he's just fantastic. So it's his world and everybody else is living in it when it comes to the heavyweight bracket in Detroit. Yeah, I think that's why everyone was so angry because we're only going to get to see him so many more times. I mean, he's that's right. done he, after NCAAs. Yeah, he, he said that in his tweet. You know what? <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. <coughs> but he said, you know, this is my last go round. You know, you get get four matches out of him here, and and it's done. And you know, that's uh, and, it, and it's cool for so, you know, it's cool for somebody like that. Spencer Lee as well. You know, did you, did you see Gable before the the finals, where he was at the railing and he was signing autographs? And you see Spencer Lee do that a ton. It's amazing to be that good to be that good and yet to have the humility to be able to you know um accommodate people that want your autograph and stuff but i know that sounds weird seeing humility and people want your autograph but you know there's something about doing that because there are people that don't want to do that but he's he's tremendous and like you said take the opportunity to to watch him here in detroit because it's uh, you're not going to see somebody like him here for a very long time, I'm sure. I'll, I'll ask the big question we have first, and we wanted to talk about DeSanto because mm-hmm. it seems like he's got a mental block or something against Roman Bravo Young. At times he's in on that leg. It seems like he's afraid to beat him. I, I don't know what's going on there. Well, you know, it's interesting. I tried to try to ask that question, but, you know, he, he gets – Roman Bravo Young is, is, is very savvy. And he knows, he obviously has learned from his first match against DeSanto. I think it was at the Big Tens in Minnesota where they first met and DeSanto beat him there. Um, and Bravo Young hasn't uh, lost since to DeSanto. And he is, is really good. I think it was Brands that had mentioned that, that Shin Wizard where he can get in you know, he's comfortable in those positions. He's, you know, able to get there and, and maybe even kind of lead to Austin to that spot where he can he can kind of lock in and, and not have to worry about giving up. I think the one thing, too, that that might be a factor is if, if you remember the duel in, in Carver a couple of years ago when DeSanto ended up having the injury to fall, I think he was locked up in a cradle at one point, too, that was off a counter. Maybe that's sitting in the back of his mind, knowing that I have to be really particular about where I am and how I finish, because when I wasn't, it, it leads to that cradle. So sometimes you kind of learn, and maybe that hurts you a little bit, because you're like, oh, I need to be really careful where I go, because I don't want to give up that big move, you know, that you got hit on, you know, but you can kind of tell he he's almost, it almost looks like he's a little too methodical, you know, when he gets in and tries to finish. He gets to a certain point, and then it's like he's just really trying to go step to step to step, and Bravo Young's just comfortable and fine in that position. And then, you know, he has a knack of being able to find his opportunity and capitalize on it. So that's where, you know, it's like, okay, what do you have to do? And sometimes maybe maybe the best thing is to shut off your mind, right? When a when a when a hitter gets in a slump. Sometimes the best thing to do is forget about things and just swing hard. You know, maybe that's what DeSanto has to do. Maybe he just has to go out there and swing hard and just 
turn everything off and just go out there and just wrestle pedal to the to the floor like he has done and he's done that you know that iowa city uh the match in carver this year holy buckets the pace that he wrestled at was phenomenal just something at the end where uh he needs to finish just shut the mind off and go after it i guess it's crazy to think how many shots he's been on how many shots he's been there it's so close and just maybe detroit's the time maybe maybe that's when he finally breaks through and and gets that finish and we're talking about detroit being the the time somebody finally breaks through our last question is uh marinelli four-time big 10 champ do you think this is the year where he finally i mean if he's gonna get it this has to be the year he's he's done after this season you know what what do you think he has to do differently and what's it kind of been like watching him you know, get the number one seed the last two two uh, NCAA championships and kind of falter there? You know what? I, I think I've seen, I think Wynn came out with their predictions and had him fourth, right? And I was just kind of going off, kind of wondering where he might sit as far as seeds go. And to, to tell you the truth, one of the best things for him might be being a third or fourth seed. When, when you look at you know, his freshman year, he was undefeated through the, the regular season, got to the Big Tens and, and kind of faltered, right? You know, you talked about being the top seed. Of course, he, he's had some really tough draws. I, I think the one year uh, when he had Makai Lewis, he even had like JoJo Smith from Oki State that somehow was like the 32-33 wrestling pigtail bout uh, that he got in the first, you know, that he wrestled. Uh, in his first match, and then then had Makai Lewis. I think maybe you know, and then Shane Griffith, obviously in the the injury last year. But that might be the biggest aid for him is to kind of be a couple rungs down the ladder and realize that's who I'm shooting for. You know, instead of kind of being the top dog looking down, you're you're looking up and wanting to knock the king of the hill off the off the mound. Branch talked about him wrestling tight with uh you know with the expectation of winning four maybe that's what he needs to loosen up a little bit and just kind of let the fur fly right that's the that's the phrase that they love and and wrestling loves overall you know if you're uh if you're the three or four seed you got nothing to lose you just go out there and let it all hang out and that might be one of the best things for him just just kind of take that underdog mentality that you know you've got makai lewis and some others at 65 that you know, he still hasn't beaten uh, Karchla from Ohio State either. So he's got, uh, you know, he's got some some things to do there, and maybe that might help him. But I, I think he, I think he will. I, I mean, you know, he outside of that last little bit against Karchla, where he was kind of hanging and gave up that that takedown, and you kind of almost see that coming a little bit. He's been in control of just about every match he's been in, and I don't see that changing next. So to put a bow on everything. Can I ask you guys something really quick? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to know, you know, you guys do such a fantastic job. I know the standards at the DI are are very high. And, of course, you're doing this as well as, you know, course load, right? One, one, how how do you balance that? Because you're you're at all the all the events. I'm at, you're at the same press conferences, you know, um, I'm not taking 
12 or how many hours of courses that you guys are how do you how do you balance that and then second of all what do you like or, or what's your favorite part about covering wrestling as a whole yeah i mean it's pretty much i don't know i pick and choose my battles because if i if the professor wants me to read 30 pages in two nights and i have to cover a wrestling meet i'm not doing the pages that's just how it is sure um sure. and then the my favorite part about covering wrestling that's a great question i i mean it's kind of funny because i think it's i think it's the balance between like these wrestlers want to be no nonsense like they like there's a sentiment about oh we just want to be on the mat like this the question the questions will answer themselves as tom brand said last mm -hmm. week before the when we talked to him on tuesday and he tried to leave before any questions and then like obviously there are a couple like marinelli and lee and mirin like to lean into the storylines so it's just so seeing that balance of like there are some people that you just don't talk to because they don't want to talk about anything and then you get marinelli and he'll give you gold for 10 minutes so. <laughs> right i guess i'll give a little bit more political answer to the first first question that chris gave i mean he's he's definitely right you have to pick your battles but to be, I guess, sort of frank, like Cardell Jones sent out that famous, I didn't come here to play school tweet. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the best advice I've gotten is from DI alums that are like, have you ever had a job or internship interview where they ask you what your grade point average is? And my answer is always no, they want to see the work I've done, you know, on the beat. So mm -hmm. today I walked into a midterm exam with zero studying and i just took that baby and <laughs> we'll see how it turns out later this week when it's in the grade book and i think my favorite part of covering wrestling is to me it's the fans i just love to be in that environment i love people yelling too you know i like it when they ask what that what the bottom guy is doing asking for the stall <laughs> That's just the most entertaining part to me. It's such an explosive uh, and exciting sport to watch. Um, so when people say it's boring or they don't like it, then, you know, I, I understand why a lot of wrestlers and coaches get upset by that because it's exciting. I will also say that I asked Austin via text how he did on that midterm, midterm exam that he went in cold then, and I did not get a response. So that's not an encouraging sign. And I also think that any pillow or mattress store in iowa city is missing a major sponsorship opportunity given the amount of times that tom brands asked the ref to get him a pillow yeah i i too love the fans and especially at the heavyweight where they just start just start making the, noises the woo yeah the woo. <laughs> woo. yeah 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 but i mean it's it's an atmosphere that's unlike any other sport you're not going to hear people at basketball go and I mean, it's a two-point basket, but they don't go two. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that that could be so that could be the crossover event of the century. So to put a bow on the entire interview, what's your prediction for the NCAA tournament? What team wins it? What do the individual champions look like? I know that second part's a little bit loaded, but what do you, how do you think pl things play out in Detroit in nine or ten days here? Well, first, you know, as far as the uh... The team title goes, you know, I know it's not going to be a real popular uh, answer, but I, I see Penn State coming out uh, on top. And, and I think, you know, the guys that placed as high as they did 
this weekend are going to place pretty close to that again at Detroit. You know, Roman Bravo Young is going to be in the finals. Nick Nick Lee is going to be in the finals. You know, you're going to have Aaron Brooks in the finals. You're going to have Carter Scarocci in the finals. You know, you're going to get somebody like Max Dean that's going to finish really high again. And Kirk Vallette's going to be, you know, in that top four or five range. You know, maybe they'll get points out of Hildebrand. I didn't didn't happen to notice the at-large selections, but I'm assuming uh, he got one. Um, I, did, I just see Penn State walking away with it. Then I think you're going to have a battle, depending on how healthy Iowa is, uh, you're going to have a battle between Iowa, Michigan, and probably Arizona State maybe. You know, I, I think those teams will be relatively close. Then I think there's probably a drop-off, especially with, uh, you know, Okie State missing – you know, they're not even uh, really a factor now without uh, Ferrari and some of the ups and downs. I don't think uh, Travis Whitlick made it. I, I see Iowa getting second um, as long as they kind of get some guys healthy. I think this will I think this will be the time that uh, that Marinelli gets it. You know, I, I think I was looking at uh, wins predictions, right? And they had like Evan Wick, number one, Shane Griffith, two, Keegan O'Toole, three, then uh, Marinelli, four. If the seeds were to fall like that, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like Marinelli's chances against Evan Wick in the semis for sure. You know, and then you're looking at uh, either Griffith or O'Toole on Saturday night, and I think that's definitely winnable. I would have liked uh, Kemmer's chances to win, but after seeing him Sunday, uh, I tell you what, uh, making the podium I, I think would be a great accomplishment considering uh, kind of what he's dealing with. And the thing with, uh, you know, I, I'd say DeSanto, but I think Dayton Fix is one that even more than Roman Bravo Young having his number, I think if he's on the same side as uh, Dayton Fix, that's going to be a tough hurdle for him to, to clear. Now, did you want me to like give you my picks for each weight? We'd love to have them, yeah. Because I always say, I always preface this, predictions can only prove how much you don't know, which... Michigan, uh, Michigan showed that a lot uh, this last weekend. Showed I don't know very much. Oh, let's see. 125, it's hard to pick against Soriano, um, even though you've got Vito and Pat Glory there. And you're not even talking about last year's finalist, uh, Courtney from Arizona State. But uh, uh, like Soriano, I thought he looked really good this weekend. Oh, I think I'll go with Dayton Fix on uh, at 133, Nick Lee at 41, Yanni Diakamahalis. Got to go with Yanni D. Uh, David Carr at 57. Even though Ryan Deacon looked a lot better than uh, I expected him to um, this last weekend, but David Carr I think is uh, his head and shoulders above the rest of the field there. Um, I like Marinelli at 65, Starochi at 74. Boy, I I think Aaron Brooks gets. Uh, I think. He avenges that loss to uh, Miles Amin. And, uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to go the homer route at 84. I'm going to go with Parker Tekeisen. Um, He's wrestled Brooks close. Uh, he's got a heck of a motor. I'll be a little bit of a homer on that one since he's at UNI. I'll go with Parker Tekeisen. It's kind of a surprise one. Like Max Dean at 97. Um, and then, of course, people see the thing at heavyweight. How's that? That'll uh, show how much I don't know come next Saturday. 
that all checks out to me. I think the Yakima Hollows has won like 66 in a row. So yeah, that's a safe bet. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that wraps it up. So thanks so much for joining us, hopping on. We really appreciated chatting. You like we had a great time this afternoon. No, I, I enjoyed chatting with you and, and, you know, it was my pleasure to, to join you guys. And like I said, I have a lot of respect for uh, what you guys do and, and uh, I enjoy working alongside you. This has been the DI scoreboard. I am your host, Austin Hansen. I'd like to shout out KJ Pilter for joining my co-host Chris Werner and I this week. Really appreciate Chris for hopping on as well dealing with me as always i gave carly a little bit of a shout out at the beginning of the podcast but we'll do it again because without carly this podcast would not exist um as i said before she is the gasoline to our fire um she is what makes this thing go and we hope you enjoyed listening to what carly edited this week hopefully it wasn't a mess we hope you enjoy listening to us again next week And as always, the DI scoreboard is sponsored by absolutely nobody. Possibly the sliding doors on Dodge Grand Caravans all over the world. That's still still a sour spot for me. My hand's still broken. Guess who got summoned for jury duty? Is it you? Sure did. My dad texted me a picture of the little card that says jury summons. He says, guess what you got to get out of next week? I do wonder, like, are we allowed to be on jury duty as like journalists? Like if we list our career and our profession as like journalism. I mean, if you're not covering it, probably. Hmm. But like you're a sports reporter. If it's not anything pertaining to sports say it's just a you know you know your local average murder i think you'd be fine just the person got killed that's it that's fine <laughs> that was definitely not fine